What's up, guys? It's Little D from FMF. When I'm not mixing gas and hauling ass, I'm listening to Big MX Radio. can't expect that everyone is as passionate about racing as we are. We can't expect that everyone is able to hear the silent call of the sea at 5am. Not everyone possesses the ability to smell the difference between rich and lean. nor the ear to differentiate the bark of two cylinders from four. It would not be fair of us to assume that the world understands the yearning and overwhelming compulsion that we have to push through pain, angst, frustration and failure. Some people might not understand the desire to test physical limits, conquer fear, or to tangle with the forces of gravity and physics. But we don't make products for them. to the future but embrace our past we study we analyze we race on Sunday so we can innovate on Monday we exercise trial and error religiously Through our commitment to the pursuit of perfection, we learn. How to make products for the people that are capable of dedicating everything to sport. Whether there is a championship involved or not. Alpine stars, one goal, one vision.
25. Moro here from Grunball. Kingsley turns that five sideways. Brian the gate is down. This is a sharp left-hander. Who's going to shot? Looks like Darcy Lange on that Richmond Gallon. Kawasaki gets the jump. That's where it all started. Big MX Radio, brought to you by Fly Racing USA, is on the air. Fueled by passion, focused on motocross. W Wheels USA, Moto Ice Wrap, Viral Goggle Bread, and Maxima USA make it possible to bring you the news, the interviews, and the point of views inside the sport of motocross. The gate's about to drop on Big MX Radio. Welcome to the Fly Racing Big MX Radio Podcast Show brought to you by FMF, W Wheels USA, and Maxima Racing Oils. I am your host, Brad Gebhardt, and uh, this is going to be a very special podcast, uh, not one we've done in quite some time, but uh, I felt with uh, the closing stages of 2017 uh, uh, on, upon us now, uh, a few events to, to take care of before we look totally forward towards uh, 2018 for the mo- for all intents and purposes. Guys are already starting to uh, test and ride with their 2018 teams. Uh, these guys don't take a lot of time off, and uh, today on the podcast we'll be talking to a guy who doesn't take a lot of time off himself, Shane. Doyle, who uh, is, uh, for all intents and purposes, a uh, a guy who really took a leap of faith in 2017, uh, leaving his steady job at a Mercedes dealership uh, doing service work to uh, to take up uh, a camera, and not something he was un- unfamiliar to prior to that. He was doing a lot of filming and photography work prior to that, but uh, jumping in with both feet and attending uh, just about every single round of uh, Monster Energy Supercross and uh, Luke Pro. Lucas Oil Pro Motocross AMA Nationals Outdoors as well, and uh, looks like he'll he'll also be at Monster Energy Cup. Uh, we'll catch up a little bit with with Shane and uh, pick his brain about some of the happenings 2017. Hope you guys jo- enjoy it. So without further ado, here's our interview and uh, podcast with none other than Shane Doyle. Shane Doyle, welcome to the podcast, my friend. Thanks for having me, bro. Appreciate it. It's been a while. It has been too long. In fact, uh, I I don't believe we've had you on the Big MX Radio podcast show in 2017. You've been busy, I've been busy, and uh, uh, it's just been too, way too long. But uh, good to hear your voice, my friend. Yeah, you too. You too. Yeah, I've been been pretty busy. I mean, now things are kind of starting to calm down a little bit, but it, yeah, it's, it's good to talk to you. Absolutely, always a pleasure, and uh, it's, it was it was an awesome time hanging out with you earlier in the season when uh, when the two of us were attending all the races. But uh, as as you might hear when you you listen to this thing back, uh, as I uh, kind of led into this, you're a guy who uh, has really jumped in with both feet as far as uh, the videography and the uh, and the, the photography side of things in 2017. So uh, give uh, the listeners a little bit of background story on the uh, the progress. Of, uh, of 7-Eleven Films, because uh, I think I first met you back in 2015 at Anaheim 1. You're doing a little bit of videoing. I think you went to a couple of races that year, but uh, this year you're in with both feet. You're doing a lot of it, and uh, I've seen a marked improvement in your work. Yeah, so uh, it kind of all started out as a, as a hobby. You know, me and my brother Cole, we would... Uh, just kind of go to the local tracks and film and do that kind of stuff with my friends, nothing really crazy. And, uh, yeah, I went to a couple of super crosses. Uh, I tried to go to a few every year and, and 
do some stuff, work on some projects, uh, like with the insect naps and stuff like that. And, you know, I'd help out Ted when I could. And, um, but at the same time, I worked for Mercedes Benz the whole time. So I still had like a real job that I was doing. Yeah. So, uh, but this year I, I decided in December, actually, I decided to, uh, to quit my job and kind of just like, uh, go full, full force with the pro, pro racing side of things, I guess you could say. And, uh, so yeah, I ended up, uh, working out a deal with Ted where I would do all of his media stuff and, um, go to all the races with him. And so, yeah, it, it was pretty fun. You know, I, uh, I never actually did much photography stuff. It was mainly only video. And, uh, this is my first year doing that. And I can't thank, uh, Brown Dog enough for kind of taking me under his wing and helping me out. Um, yeah, it, it's been, it's been a fun year. Let's talk about Brown Dog Wilson for a moment here, because um, th- and there's there's a lot of photographers out there that uh, are very serious about what they do, and not to say Brown Dog's not serious about what he does, but yeah. uh, of all the photographers that I worked with and and was uh, uh, kind of um, uh, commingled with throughout uh, my my adventures throughout the the early portions of the Supercross season and going to uh, one of the outdoors as well as. Uh, um, uh, Minneapolis and Toronto. Every single event that I went to, uh, I could always uh, kind of go over to, to Brown Dog to ask a question, and he was always wide open. It was like, yeah, if you want to get yeah. a good shot, that's where you want to be, or uh, that's who you don't want to piss off, or uh, just little things like that, and uh, an absolute <laughs> open book. Uh, Chris Gans, uh, better known as, uh, as, as Brown Dog Wilson, Great photographer and uh, just a great human being. Huge, uh, kind of a bit of a welcome yeah. wagon as far as the uh, photography side of things is, co- is concerned. Yeah, like I remember, I think it was like San Diego or something, and I told him I was like, "Yeah, I don't really take pictures much, but I'm just gonna, I'm just kind of giving it a try." And he was like, "All right, well, here's my ten thousand dollar lens. Like, just go try this out." Yeah. I'm like, "Oh, exactly. Um, okay." <laughs> yeah, no, same thing. Uh, I could, like, I, I couldn't get a photo credential for Colorado, and uh, so I was a little bit further away. And uh, of course, Brown Dog's got that uh, world-renowned uh, 400 meter lens, and he's like, uh, "Yeah, here, snap this on your body and go. Uh, this thing's yeah. worth more, worth more than my life, Chris. I could never, I could never buy this thing used if I needed to. And uh, yeah, he, yeah exactly. don't worry about it. Takes it, and he's like, "Oh, I got extra bodies if you need to." So uh, that that guy is a is a gem. But uh, what was some of the uh, the the like was it maybe some of the challenges that you faced uh kind of getting learning the ropes of, of photography because uh there's there's not really much learning curve as far as uh uh as far as like ted setting you out, sending you out there and hoping that you can get some great photos right off the hop yeah um honestly like supercross it, supercross came pretty easy because you're in a stadium the lighting's pretty much always the same and stuff like that but i'd say the hardest part was outdoors you know like a lot of them are super bright and uh, some of them don't have very many trees, like Glen Helen, for example. It's just it's super bright, not much of a background really, and, and it's uh, that was a tough one to get used to was was shooting in that kind of lighting. But I, I got the hang of it uh, sort of eventually. But um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I like Supercross a lot more because it was just I, I like the background, all the fans and the stands and whatnot. So yeah. Absolutely, and also can't argue with the uh, with the show that uh, Feld Entertainment puts out. Uh, just being on yeah. the floor during opening ceremonies and that whole thing, uh, way too cool. And uh, eventually, like I don't know how how quickly it happened for you, but I went to the first seven rounds, and uh, by the, by the seventh round, it's like not that it gets old or anything like that. It just like, it almost kind of seems uh, like it's almost kind of cool to like 
be there and I'll have all these explosions going off and not really be too thrown off by it. You know what I mean? It almost seems like, yeah, yeah. this is what I do for this is what I do for work. I just hang out and uh, uh, the, there's explosions going off and cool things happening and uh, yeah, it's just it's 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 just a day in the life of Shane Doyle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know what you're saying. It's like it's kind of like whenever you watch it on TV or like when you finally get to go to a race and you get goosebumps when opening ceremonies starts or whatever because you just don't get to be around it a lot. But once you're there right. all the time, it, it kind of become you kind of become numb to that. And uh, it's pretty crazy to think that you know, looking back, how hyped you used to get just to go to one race, you know, like your home race or whatever. Oh yeah, and, uh, it's pretty crazy to know that you know that, that's our job now, you know. For sure, like uh, like for a, a guy like yourself, and even for me, I attended more professional motocross races, outdoors or in, in 2017 than I did uh, all years prior to that, like the, the 18 years that I've been involved in the sport. Uh, there's been a lot of years where Minneapolis or Toronto hasn't had a Supercross and uh, haven't been able to drive down to Millville. So uh, I was able to go to, I believe, nine rounds of Supercross and one outdoor, which is 10, 10 uh, professional events, which is uh, like, that's that's the high watermark for me. But for you, you were at um, oh, damn near 30 events. Events. Yeah, I, I went to every single one of them except for Millville because I had to go to my best friend's wedding. Uh, so, yeah, it was a it was a long season, man. And to be honest, uh, coming towards the end uh, after Indiana, I was I was pretty ready to come home. I mean, I had gone home during most of the breaks, uh, so that was nice. But yeah, being on the road the whole time it uh, it takes it out of you. That's for sure. For sure, and obviously this next year you're going to have even more travel with Supercross being uh, uh, like for for you guys this this last year it was able you were able to stay in in California for the first seven weeks, but uh, you guys are going to hightail it from uh, from Texas all the way to Anaheim one only to have to turn around one week later and come back to Houston. Although that's kind of uh, a home race for you, if I understand that correctly. Yeah, yeah, it's uh Houston's about 4 hours south of of where I live, so it's not too far. Uh but yeah, that's that's going to be a it's going to be a fun one for sure going to California for a few days and then turning right back around. Uh, it's like a 24 25 hour drive back to Dallas. So uh, yeah, that's going to be interesting. Fair enough. I might have to talk, uh, talk to Ted about maybe allowing me to stow away in the uh, in the rig for for one week while you guys head head there and back because uh, me heading down to California and then driving 24 hours uh, to Texas and back is not f- uh, financially responsible. So I might have to yeah, yeah. Uh, might well, have to pull, uh, pull some strings. A, he, I, know, I know Ted flew to uh, Atlanta yesterday to go look at yeah. a, a semi truck. So. That's what his plan is. His plan is to go full force in 2018 and have a semi and everything. So I think uh, oh. a lot of good things are going to be happening for his team. No kidding. And uh, of, like speaking of uh, Ted Parks and the professional uh, pr- professional journey, uh, uh, motocross journey, um, like this is a program that stepped up every single year. You've been a part of it, and uh, I, I imagine that uh, this this particular year you've spent a lot of time behind the wheel of that uh, of that. Uh, the, the cargo van that they use to move a lot of their parts and, uh, yeah. and an occasional bike or two. Yeah, I drove I drove it from Anaheim one all the way to Southwick, and uh, after Southwick, I, I took it back uh, to Dallas just because we didn't really have a need for it. And plus, we were driving from coast to coast that one more time with Washougal, so um, we didn't want to put it through that because it was kind of on its last leg already. But uh, yeah, it's <laughs> the most uncomfortable. Uh, 
driving experience you can have is driving in one of those vans because the seats are terrible. Uh, the inside is about as plain as it gets. And uh, oh, the yeah. only good thing about it was we had like a nice radio that had like an aux cord. That's it. See, this th- that's where you had me beat because I may have been driving uh, a 2012 Ford F-150 with uh, a couple of bells and whistles on it, but the reality of my driving from Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada to Newport Beach, California is that I had Ooh. no Wi-Fi, no internet, no cell service for 36 hours, therefore I had no radio. Oh, for 36 hours, all I had was uh, Steve Mathis podcast from when he first started doing them. I, I downloaded a, a bunch of those, and uh, I, I listened to some other podcasts here and there. But for the most part, it was just me and the road, and uh, yeah, a lot of imagination going on. Yeah, I don't know how you did that one. Uh, uh, I, I also uh, don't know how you yeah. stuck in the back seat of that thing. Uh, yeah, the, the worst. It is, but it's it's what it's the the sacrifice we make to uh, to make this our occupation, my friend. It's uh, yeah. uh, obviously uh, I I don't make a huge amount of dollars off of this. Otherwise, I'd be able to go to more races. But uh, always moving forward towards that. Um, when you made that decision to go f- uh, both feet in with uh, doing the media side of things for for Ted, uh, what was that conversation like with you, between you and Ted as to what you could bring to him and uh, what kind of value that you would be able to bring, uh, given the fact that uh, like you you were still rather new with uh, with photography and even videography, although you'd been doing it for quite some time, you still had a lot to learn. Uh, yeah, so me and Ted actually kind of had talked about it the uh, year before, but I didn't really. I was in a I was in a place at my work where I felt like I could there was no reason to to leave now you know I felt like there was room for me to move up where I was and uh and and the at the end of 2016 around like Monster Cup uh he called me again and we were talking about plans for 17 and I was like you know I might as well just do it you know I'm only 21 years old and uh might as well just take the risk and everybody was telling me to just go ahead and do it anyways because it's not like i have a whole lot tying me down right now so yeah yeah so we we agreed on that and then you know i i think ted knew what i could do just because i had done stuff uh for him in the past and with his son and uh he he doesn't really understand like the photo stuff or anything so as long as the picture looks good he's he's happy you know and uh that, that's what it's all about. And, you know, we also had uh, Anna Glennon uh, with us this year. She came to some of the races, and she also takes pictures and does our uh, press releases and whatnot. So uh, it was a big help having her there, too, you know, because I didn't have to do all of them myself. She was there to do some, too. So, uh, yeah, it, it worked out. And I think Ted, uh, in the end, Ted was happy with what he got. So uh, I think everything ended up pretty well. No kidding, and uh, I I couldn't uh, couldn't not notice the uh, the the mile wide smile on your face every single time we're at the track. You were just ha- you were having the time of your life. Twenty one years old, going to every single Supercross, and uh, uh, honestly, like generated some really cool relationships with some some of those top riders out there. Uh, like uh, and I see you uh, interacting with them on social media and people giving you shout-outs for photos and stuff like that. That's got to be cool, uh, Like given the fact that uh, maybe only two, three years ago you are watching these guys on television and now you're, uh, you're, you're, you're bumping elbows with some of these guys and, uh, and, and enjoying some, some pretty cool relationships with some of the top pros. Yeah, uh, I've gotten to know quite a few 
and uh it's been it's been nice building those relationships and uh even like not even just riders like other people like uh um like sean brennan from feld he, he's uh yes. he's been really good and uh we've actually become pretty good friends and uh we call each other every once in a while just to check up on each other and uh it's pretty good to have those relationships you know and um even like even Tyler Intic now. I mean, I, I didn't really know Tyler that well. I've I've known Adam for a while, but uh, Tyler came on the road with us for pretty much all of Supercross after the West Coast. And um, man, it was uh, that was honestly some of the best times that I've uh, I've had. Me and Tyler and uh, the other guy that worked with us, Ethan. Man, me and me and them had uh, some really good times this year, and I uh, can't really can't trade those for nothing. Hey everyone. Let's take a break and listen to some commercials quickly. Then we'll be right back to the podcast. Thanks for listening. FlyRacing.com is the home of quality and innovation. The design team at Fly tirelessly rebuild and retool premium lines like the Evolution 2.0 and Light Hydrogen with features like zipper lock to prevent closure failures and EVO's BOA technology, which ensures the perfect fit. Complete your protective gear combo head-to-toe with Fly Racing F2 Carbon MIPS Retrospect and Fly's entry into the premium boot segment with their sector. All products and colorways are available at FlyRacing.com. What's wrong, Jeff? I don't know, Jay. Well, you better fuel up with a nutritious breakfast with oats and bran. Oats and bran? I didn't think there was such a thing. That's what I used to think. Now, I start out every morning with a bowl of Amigos. For extreme kids like us. It's a racing man. But more than five, what big Jeff likes is a fat bowl. Amigos and bran. Fat bowl. Amigos and bran. Oats for power. Brands for speed. Cereal bees, Emigos. That's what I call fueling for the big ride. Hey kids, start out every morning with a fat bowl. Hey, this is Zach Cummins. All you hosers, quit listening to Nickelback and jump on over to the Big MX Radio Show. Hey, Big MX listeners, it's time for another commercial break. Please listen carefully to these, and we'll be right back to the show. Thanks. WUSA is your one-stop shop for quality wheel sets in America. All of the best components built for the toughest conditions. Hit up WUSA.com, that's D-U-D-Y-A-U-S-A.com right now, and check out the custom wheel builder selection. Pick your rims. Pick your hubs, pick your spokes, even pick your nipples, and see what it's going to look like on your bike. On the website, you'll drool over components like XL and DID rims, talon and kite aluminum hubs, galfer and Brembo brakes, and spokes that take a licking and keep on ticking. The same wheels that you buy are built by the same guys we're building wheels for. Ryan Dungey, Jeremy Martin, Chad Reed, and the entire Geico Honda team. And I kid you not, if they are not told whose wheels are whose, they just build amazing products. And I want you guys in a set of W wheels. So do what I did and head to WBYAUSA.com today. WUSA, all things wheels. Hey, Big MX fans. Thanks for listening to this podcast and hope you're enjoying it. I want you guys to head on over to TractionMX.com. TractionMX is the place to get your seat covers for any bike that you have, whether it be a Husqvarna, 
Kawasaki, Suzuki, Yamaha, KTM, you name it. These guys have a great seat cover for you. They're durable, they're flashy, they're eye-catching, and they're one of a kind. The reason why they're one of a kind is because you design your own. You pick the fabrics, you pick the ribs, you pick the everything all the way down to the stitching uh, color that they use on the seat cover itself. Traction MX is your one-stop shop to set your bike apart from the herd 110%. These seat covers start at just $69.95 American, and uh, the average turnaround is a one to two weeks. One to two weeks from now, you could have a bike that's looking completely different than it does right now. So head on over to TractionMX.com, start shopping, start designing, and make something special like for you today. Going viral with Viral Brand. Viral Brand is setting its sights on being one of the leading brands in the extreme sports market. From supercross to snowcross and snowboarding, and everything in between. Viral Brand is working hard to not only bring you premium products, quality eyewear, and killer style, but award-winning support with every sport. Head on over to theviralbrand.com and get tinted lenses, clear lenses, 10-pack of tear-offs, and goggle bag for only $59.99. Viral Brand products are available in the U.S., Canada, and Australia and used exclusively by the Barn Pros Racing MX Home Depot Yamaha team for the 2017 season. Go viral with the viral brand. No kidding. So let's talk a little bit about some of the uh, the notable moments of 2017 that uh, that stick out to us. Uh, the first, of, co- of course, uh, happened only three weeks into the season. We saw Ken Roxon go down. Uh, I'm sure you were on the floor for it. I was up in the press box watching it. Uh, the the guy just it was a mistiming of uh, of a rhythm section, catastrophic injury. Good to see him back on the bike recently. But uh, what were your initial thoughts when you saw uh, Ken hit? the deck because uh, it looked bad and then uh, in the in the coming days after that we found out that it was a very serious injury yeah I didn't I honestly I was just bummed whenever I whenever I saw him crash because man the season I feel like was shaping out to be really good uh, and man I, I just I felt so bad for him because you could literally see the bones sticking out of his skin and yeah. uh, I've never seen somebody crash that hard, like right in front of me. So it was, uh, it was unreal. And uh, I, I hope I never have to do that again, honestly, because that's what did he have? Thirteen surgeries or something like that. I mean, no one should have to Damn get near, something yeah. like that. That's, that's crazy. Yeah, it was a huge blow to the series. Uh, I think a lot of people, like because he exited so early, I think it, it's kind of undercounted that he was the points leader at that moment, immediately uh, inherited by uh, by Ryan Dungey. And, uh, and he had, I believe, 20 points at that time on Marvin Muskan, who was currently in third place at that time. So um, it was like, like the, the series... Really, at that uh, that moment, was I had a huge shift, and uh, by by the end of the series, Ken Roxon's wins at the beginning of the year were almost forgotten. Um, obviously, Eli Tomac had his his surge to the to the front of the pack as far as the points go, took that points lead, and then uh, relinquished it in New York. Uh, when he was like, obviously, you were there in Salt Lake when he put the boots to everybody, uh, just like tracking uh, tracking down Dungey and and winning that race, and then going on to uh, uh, like. Just kind of, uh, I think I don't know if the pressure got to him. I don't know if it was just uh, 
just just one of those things. But what did you see both in Salt, like a difference between Salt Lake and then uh, in New York, where things just did not go Eli Tomac's way? Well, Salt Salt Lake City was uh, was it was it was crazy to watch it because he he was so far back and Dungey was riding so smooth and consistently like always, and then all of a sudden Tomac's just charging and soon enough he's caught him then at the end of the race he had gapped him by like five seconds so uh at, at that point i was thinking i was like you know it's, it's over like tomac got it like there's no way he doesn't have this so then we go to new york and practice tomac looked not so great uh the heat races he looked all right but he just didn't look he didn't look comfortable on the track all day and then i was actually standing right in that turn where he crashed right before the face of that triple and he took forever to get up. I don't, I don't know if he hit his head or what. It didn't look like it, but I think he was just, he was flustered after that. And then he couldn't put in clean laps. He kept making mistakes. And, uh, I think that was just the end of it. And he kind of wrote himself off after that because he was so far back and coming into Vegas. I mean, he was, I feel like he did everything he could, you know, the way he rode that race was incredible. And, uh, I think he did everything that he could, and it was kind of out of his hands at that point. Yeah, when you don't control your own destiny, uh, it's very difficult to to do your work. And uh, basically, uh, Ryan Dungey was able to uh, um, just ride his his, his consistent self. Uh, like even with the fact that uh, with the the technique that uh, or the like, I guess the strategy that Eli used, they were actually able to even like, kind of lessen the pace and uh, and just kind of cruise around out there, which is even more safe for a guy like Dungey to do. Uh, not, like there was one small, I would I would guess you'd call it a, a close call as far as them getting together, but for the for most part, uh, Vegas was a moot point. In fact, most people even forget who won that race. Uh, yeah, Jason Jason Anderson won that. Yeah, yeah, yeah Anderson won yeah. that one. <laughs> So it's like, like most people like in the fact that uh, Cian Sorillo won the uh, the two fifties as well uh, in that yeah. weekend. But no, most people forget that the, those two winners. I think uh, that'd be a trivia question right there. But uh, um, like when when you when you think of the Supercross season, do you like do you kind of like look at it as an overview of that was like e- Eli Tomac's year, but Ryan Dungey's championship? Yeah, I mean, obviously Eli showed a lot more speed, and he got a lot more wins than Dungey did, but yeah, like you said, I think it was Dungey's championship year. And, uh, you know, I, I think with Dungey retiring now, I, I think next year is going to be pretty wide open, uh, for everybody, you know, and especially if you have Roxon coming back healthy, you've got Tomac and you've got all the other guys, you got Anderson, Moosecan. I think, uh, this next year is setting up to be a, uh, one of the books. I, I totally agree, and uh, it's 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 like it's it's steadily becoming something that uh, is kind of showing shades of uh, the like the late uh, late two thousands, even uh, uh, like um, mid nineties, as far as who who can establish themselves as as the the the, the best rider out there. The it seems like yeah. there's more parity between the riders, and uh, and the guys are able to uh, to really race close and consistently. Um, like given the fact that uh, Ryan or 
Ken Roxon's back out on, on a bike and uh, looking like he's putting down laps. He's got about three months to get back into uh, like the, the peak condition that he needs to be in. Um, if all things roll his way, can he get back to where he was? And if so, will it happen in 2018? Or does he need a year to uh, just get that base back and uh, maybe even just win one race to get that feeling back? Uh, no, honestly, I, I think that he, uh, I think he come back, he comes back a hundred percent, you know, uh, I don't think, I don't think you're going to see the dominance that you saw at the beginning of this year, but, uh, I for sure, I can see him, uh, coming back strong and being right up there in the front. Wow. Okay. Fair, fair enough. Well, it's, it's interesting to me that, uh, Eli Tomac, uh, by the end of the season, of course, he loved that Kawasaki because it was taking him to wins. Uh, but if you talk to anybody at uh, either uh, like uh, Phoenix or any of those early Supercross rounds, uh, everyone was talking about him wanting to get off of that Kawasaki. What do you feel like changed for him as far as uh, wanting to stick with the green bike? You know, I don't know. That's a good question. Uh, at the first couple races, like you said, when, when he was complaining about that, it uh, – it didn't seem like he was comfortable with his settings, maybe. Uh, so I know after that, they were saying they did some testing and stuff. And uh, I, I don't know. They must have found some magical setting that made him feel comfortable because immediately after that, pretty much, he started just clicking off wins and looking as comfortable as ever. So I, I'm, not, I'm really not sure. Yeah, I I, he, I know he went back to uh, he he was Josh Grant had the X Trig uh, triple clamps on the bike, uh, and Eli had the Works ones on there, and all of a sudden one weekend in Phoenix, uh, the X Trig uh, fa- uh, triple clamps found their way onto Eli Tomac's bike, and uh, we all saw that race. That was an absolute beating. Um, watching that moto and just seeing Eli Tomac take the vic- like take the, the whole shot and just yard everyone. I, I remember the first straightaway after the start there, or I guess it was the second, uh, he takes that right-hand corner and then just goes two, four, three, two, out. And he literally had about half a straightaway on everyone and that was all she wrote. And um, I think, honestly, that particular evening was when, uh, I, w- I would say, one of the most dominant performances of Eli Tomac all of 2017. Yeah, I, I think uh, I think that race was for sure the, 20, the turning point for Eli. Because, uh, I mean, like I said, after that, he pretty much, yeah, he had the brake malfunction in Dallas. But other than that, you know, he pretty much, from there on out, had some really good races. Yeah. Oh, and like you can't even really fault the like you still ha- could have had a great race with a uh, getting if that that break hadn't happened, and then all this obviously yeah. uh, uh, the issue with Atlanta where he still was able to race back to uh, to a second place position uh, that in itself was incredible. Um, in, in the grand scheme of things, as far as the summer went for Eli Tomac, he was very dominant. Then there was a, a short period of time where he couldn't quite figure things out. Uh, Blake Baggage ser- served a moto up to him. Do you think that uh, in a lot of ways, um, like uh, as far as the way Eli takes to the media and uh, some of the questioning, like, it's not, not that he gets uh, insulted by it, but he just seems, seems to uh, take it to heart when people are kind of questioning uh, his ability or, or uh, like his his role in a, in a particular race. Um, because when he does win, lose a, a moto, it seems like everyone tends to ju- jump on him and and, uh, and try to like, like figure out all the questions. Whereas uh, I think there's, there's like in Eli Tomac's mind, the reality is. 
it's the, the, the days of James Stewart, Ricky Carmichael are done. You're not going to win every single race, and uh, to be expected yeah. to do so is kind of foolhardy. Yeah, I mean, I think I think Eli gets frustrated with stuff like that because uh, it seems like when he's winning everything, like uh, like when he was when he won the first race, everybody's like, oh, he's gonna he's gonna go twenty four and zero, whatever. All these rumors start happening, and all these bandwagon people get, uh, start yeah. liking him, whatever. And then you know he has one one mess up at Glen Helen, and now he sucks. You know? Yeah. So, like all these exactly. people and- stuff. I, yeah, I feel like that just kind of gets to him sometimes and even with him not not racing motocross nations you know i feel like all these people want to talk crap about him but they're not looking at the bigger picture of why he's not going you know like like they don't they don't look at it from his perspective you know like eli probably never saw himself as a non-championship contender this summer like obviously because he had confidence in himself and he didn't really care what anybody else said about him on the internet or whatever Oh, I, I totally agree. And, and, and touching on the, the more cross nations thing is these guys are contracted to ride so many races. And, uh, they, they're like almost all those guys are up to their eyeballs in supercross testing right now because they need to have all their parts on order for, for January one. So as far as their time off, it's not like, uh, hockey or football or baseball where these guys go on a two, three week, four week trip or they, they hang out in their million dollar pad for, for a month or so and, and do a little bit of, uh, of maintenance as far as training goes. But for the most part, those guys are like, uh, like stick and ball sport athletes do get some serious his time off, whereas uh, if, if Eli Tomac decides to take on the motocross donations, given where it is in the schedule, he's looking at maybe two weeks out of a 52-week schedule uh, where he can really kick back and relax, and that's just unreal, unrealistic, and uh, and he's seen a lot of guys like uh, your Ryan Villapotos, your Ryan Dungeys, and, uh, and frankly, in a lot of ways, even James Stewart. That uh, have completely burnt themselves out on uh, uh, on on training and riding and racing all these races, and uh, it, it's just been toxic to their 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 the the end of their career because they're just gone too early. Yeah, I was actually listening to an interview with Eli the other day, and he was saying the same thing. He was like, you know, I don't want to be like uh, like a Dungey or Villapoto, like you retire early when if you just don't do, like, if you just kind of take some time off when you need to, don't go to all the races that you don't have to go to and just take that time off, you won't get burnt out as quick, you know? And, and no. I completely agree with him on that. Yeah. And, and the fact that, uh, like there's, there's plenty of riders and, and, uh, like one of the most beloved in Jeremy McGrath is one of them who, uh, uh and, and nobody ever faults him for it really of, of doing that. Uh, like I wouldn't say a part-time schedule, but uh, either going super cross only or not going to the donations every single year. And, uh, and there's a lot, there was a few years where, uh, Jeremy McGrath would have been a, a very suitable candidate for a donations team, but he bowed out to focus on what his strengths were and, uh, and what was going to be best for his career. And I feel like, uh, at that yeah. time, uh, the, the, the Moorcross and Nations team were still able to crack off wins um, uh, with, without his services. Nowadays, uh, I, I don't know if uh, the U.S. can win 
without sending their best guys because the reality is is that you have motocross specialists all from all over the globe who race in that motocross GP series that uh, frankly those guys are motocross all the time they don't worry about uh, learning how to uh, jump triples or or step on step offs and stuff like that they are moto 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 all the time and um, for the most part usually the the donations are in one of their backyards so uh, um, like it, as far as Eli Tomac bowing out of that race I really have no problem with it, obviously, I would love if he was on that team because I do cheer for the Americans to win every single year. But uh, like uh, the reality is, he's he's got so many races to go to. Something's got to give. Yeah, and I mean, as far as motocross nations goes, I feel like you know, I, I feel like we we have a, still a pretty good team, and I think we have a chance at winning it. Uh, but yeah, I mean, like if, if you look at Tomac right now, okay, so he just got done racing the USGP. What was that? Two weeks ago. So now he's obviously getting ready for Monster Cup, which is in like three weeks. And then after Monster Cup, he has, what, three months to get ready for Supercross. And he'll probably take, like you said, a couple weeks off, and that's it. And then out to California, start testing, getting all that stuff ready. So, yeah, I mean, there's not there's not much time for downtime. And you just think about, think about flying to all the races, you know, like four-hour flights from like coast to coast or whatever it might be for him. And that, that, that stuff, it drags on you, you know? Oh, for sure. And, and just uh, getting on an airplane and uh, on that consistent of a basis. And what a lot of people don't realize is uh, getting in a, uh, a big uh, aircraft, steel tube, flying up in the air at 30,000 feet, that's not normal for the human body to go through on a regular basis. Yeah. There's a lot of uh, fatigue and, uh, and, and uh, like just basically like uh, uh, chemical imbalances that are, are related to flying on a regular basis, and, and that's something that these guys are dealing with. Like They're flying a lot of times. Sometimes uh, they're connecting flights, two flights on the way to a race, two flights on the way home, or at least uh, two each way, and uh, that's... That's damn near 60 flights a year, uh, and, and that's that's way too much. And these guys are uh, are, are really really up against it. Of course, uh, being a professional motocross racer can't really argue uh, with with that. One of the best occupations <laughs> in the world, but the reality yeah. is, it is tough work. And on top of that, uh, you, you're you're always you're always hurting some way. You're you're gonna hit the deck some. Uh, you're gonna hit the you're gonna you're going that fast. You're gonna have small crashes. You're gonna have small injuries and stuff like that. You're, you're nursing throughout the season. By the end of the re- but the, either the Supercross season or the outdoor season, I don't think there's a single guy out there that doesn't have something taped or something sore or they're favoring something along the other. And uh, frankly, that's just not something that your regular nine to five guy has something to deal with. Yeah, and, and just kind of touching on the flight thing, uh, John Short, one of our riders, actually uh, flying to I think it was Washougal. He uh, he had a small ear infection, and when he got on the plane, his eardrum actually bursted. So. When he woke up the next morning at the hotel, there was just a there was just like a blood spot on his pillow that had come out of his ear, and he like his his balance was off for the race and all this stuff. So yeah, the, the flying for wow. sure just it, it it weighs on you. But um, yeah, I mean, there's just there's I mean, motocross isn't an easy sport, you know. It's it it takes a lot of a lot of toll on your body and and uh, yeah. So these guys deserve they deserve some time off, you know. Oh, for sure. Heck, I raced on Sunday, and I'm still feeling it today. It's Wednesday, my friend. <laughs> yeah, uh, and and <laughs> I think I, I maybe need to uh, uh, to hit the gym maybe a little bit more often, or maybe race a little bit more often uh, to get the body more used to doing it. But uh, um, speaking of which, 
you yourself uh, uh, used to get some throttle therapy on a more consistent basis. Uh, with a few uh, few weeks home, uh, do you think yourself is going to strap on a helmet and maybe uh, remember what it's like to uh, get the knobbies in the dirt, or do you even have a dirt bike anymore? Yeah, no, I still have my uh, my KX two fifty F. I actually the, it blew up before Supercross, so uh, every time I came home, I, I didn't really get to ride it. But uh, my uh, my friends over at Snuffy Racing in Madera, California, they actually uh, hooked me up with a new head and everything for it. So uh, it's actually waiting at my house right now. So I, I need to go uh, put that bad boy back together, and maybe I can get uh, get some time on the track. I like it. I like it. So, who uh, of all the uh, of uh, the other media guys and some of the other photographers, who would you say would you say you, you looked up to the most as far as uh, the the product that they were able to pr- uh, produce, like with, with photos? Of course, everyone kind of uh, like looks up to Brown Dog or uh, uh, Swanee. Uh, who who are some of the guys that you kind of like that benchmark of? That's who I want to uh, want to perform like uh, when I can really start to do this stuff properly. Uh, yeah, I mean, Brown Dog for sure, uh, in the photography world, but, uh, in, in videography, you know, I would, I would have to say, uh, Ryan Walters probably is the person that I've looked up to over the years. Uh, he, he was one of the originators of Verb and, um, yeah, his, the way he, the way he makes films is just a uh, next level in my opinion. I don't really feel like there's anybody else that's, that's close, uh, in the motocross industry other than like West who, who kind of started that stuff with him, but, uh, yeah, you know, it's crazy. The equipment they have nowadays. I mean, you're talking video cameras that cost upwards of a hundred grand, uh, when you're all said and done. So, but yeah, for sure. Ryan Walters is probably the person that I looked up to, uh, coming up and he does stuff for Red Bull and Monster and stuff now. So it's, it's cool seeing him go from doing the verb stuff to kind of his own deal now. No doubt, no doubt. So, uh, obviously, you'd mentioned that uh, your bags are packed for Monster Energy Cup. Uh, do you have anything special planned as far as a project or uh, maybe some people can keep their eyes out for on uh, 7-Eleven Films uh, on, on the Instagram? Uh, yeah, I don't have anything specific planned yet, but uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. I got, I got some things in the works, but uh, nothing's for sure yet, so uh, we'll see. Just... Keep your eyes open on Instagram and stuff and uh, see what happens. Speaking of Instagram, I know, I'm sure if you've noticed, but I definitely have noticed a uh, a bit of a stall out of uh, of some of the uh, like the the amount of following that you get or the growth that you might see. Have you seen that as well? Where uh, like uh, it just seems more difficult than ever to accrue uh, uh, organic followers and getting more views towards your stuff. I know uh, about six months ago I could hit about thirty thousand views on a video, and now I'm struggling to get five. Uh, like uh, like have you seen stuff like that? Have you kind of been battling towards uh, against that a little bit given the fact that the algorithm on instagram is a little bit different than it once was um not not really so much for me uh i don't know i don't like i know that instagram has kind of been like cracking down a lot of people that have been like buying followers and stuff so i mean i, I don't know i'm not i'm not gonna go out there and like try to like get a bunch of likes or views or something like i feel like if you like my content, like, then you like it, you know, like, I'm not going to go beg somebody to like it, but at the same time though, like, it's cool to like produce content that people want to see. And I feel like when you have, like, it's kind of weird because sometimes I'll make a really cool video in my opinion, that's really cool. And I'll post it and it doesn't get that many views, kind of like what you're saying. But then when I like spend a lot of time on something or 
when I sorry when I spend like a little amount of time on something and it's like a stupid video in my opinion it gets like fifteen thousand views so <laughs> uh, uh, it, it's kind of weird honestly but uh, I guess that's just how Instagram works. The fickle mistress that is uh, social media always uh, always getting after. But if, if people have not yet started to follow Seven Eleven Films on uh, on Instagram, please go do so. You you post stuff pretty much every single day, whether it be uh, some throwbacks or some of the stuff that you've been working yeah. on lately. Um, uh, given the fact that uh, you'll be going to a lot of races again in 2018, uh, what, what like like looking back at 2017, uh, what were some of your favorite shots or for, like, some of the favorite moments? you were able to capture i know that you've got a bunch um well there was one uh there was one video that was pretty fun to make uh we actually stopped in pennsylvania uh at at uh ethan curley's house who was the one that was uh driving with us and um stopped at his house and he has like a little track in his backyard so we unloaded tyler's practice bike and uh tyler went and rode on the track and it, it was pretty cool just like backyard pennsylvania just hanging out, family and stuff, and uh, that video is actually up on Transworld Motocross. If anybody wants to go watch it, uh, but yeah, that was probably one of the more fun ones to do. And uh, I'm trying to think of the best race to shoot that I had. Um, hmm, I don't know. Seattle was pretty cool because it was kind of raining and stuff. But uh, I, don't know. I think, in my opinion, the coolest races to shoot are the ones that have like a cool sand section. Because that's, yeah, that's, you get cool pictures, you know. Uh, pretty, it's uh, it's not so fun for the racers, but always turns into some great <laughs> photos. I know uh, yeah. uh, the the, uh, the photographers love hanging out by the sand. Um, like, and a lot of people don't know uh, that the photographers are kind of uh, like kind of herded into certain areas. I think that's why a lot of people uh, on Instagram and stuff like that they'll they'll complain that a lot of the photos look the same. Is the fact that uh, at any point there could be four or five photographers standing within about ten feet of each other, uh, getting the exact same shots. So, uh, like, uh, is is it like what, what was the, the the steady ballet of of kind of shorting your uh, sorting everybody out that way? Is like, do you kind of find what your favorite corner is? Is, or do you find what your, maybe what your favorite feature is and then slowly move around from there, like kind of a process of elimination as to where you don't think a good photo will come from? Uh, what, what was it like? Is it like when you get that track map and you see there's very little green out there as far as what you're allowed to go to. Um, how did you approach that? Yeah, well, I mean, uh, first of all, it, you got to get up to the film guys because they they have safety on their mind first and foremost of everything when they make those track maps. But uh, it's... um. And the end of the, at the end of the day, everyone's going to have the same, like, I don't want to say the same picture, but they're going to have similar stuff just because it's a supercross track isn't like a huge, like, you know, it, it's confined into a stadium. So you're going to have, you know, people taking the same kind of photos. Um, so I think in the end, it's all about separating it with maybe your editing and the lighting and stuff. So, but like picking a good area, it's kind of hard. It's kind of hard because you can't really go in the infield of the supercross track 95% of the time. Uh, so you're kind of stuck walking around the outside. And uh, like you said, all the photographers are kind of herded up in one spot. So in my opinion, I like getting the corner shots more than anything because I like uh, maybe getting a shot of them like roosting over the tough blocks or something like that. I think that's cool in my opinion. Yeah, definitely, and uh, yeah, there's a lot of shots of guys flying through the air, but when they rip those corners, uh, it is yeah. extra special. Um, 
Like, uh, for, for outdoors, obviously, you guys have a little bit more uh, space to move, but uh, is that kind of where uh, you, you found that uh, you had the most space to learn as far as learning how to work with lighting? And, uh, and, and obviously, they're moving, uh, the athletes are moving a heck of a lot faster. Uh, what, like, the, like what, how did you become better with your photos from the beginning of outdoors to the end of them? Because uh, I definitely saw that uh, you were able to capture the light a little bit better, and uh, your timing is a lot better as far as uh, capturing that great shot. Yeah, uh, it, it was just practice, man. You know, just, uh, it's so, every track is so different and, you know, some of them are cooler than others and some of them have better spots than others, but, uh, yeah, it, it just takes a lot of practice and, uh, yeah, there is a lot more room to move around at outdoors and, uh, a lot of walking. So you, uh, it's almost exhausting walking around an outdoor track, taking pictures after the end of the day because, it's just they're so big especially ones like unadilla they have like a bunch of hills and stuff so or colorado yeah, it's think, literally built on yeah. a hill <laughs> yeah colorado that was for sure one of them and uh I'm trying to think yeah i'd say probably unadilla was pro- or, or glen helen because glen helen has some pretty big hills too that that it does and uh, of course we'll be back there for uh for the the outdoors next year um coming up uh is the the vet world championships i'll be heading down to that is uh, do you have any uh extra special uh like events planned outside of uh, of the of the supercross and outdoors uh that you you might want to hit whether it be the uh the straight rhythm or uh, uh any any of the other uh uh the big events uh kind of in and around uh kind of Texas or, or leading up to Supercross because uh, uh, for the most part, uh, you're out of work for the next four months. Yeah. Uh, right now I'm working on a project with uh, John Short. Uh, he actually just got surgery on his wrist. So we've been kind of doing like a video series that's going to be coming out really soon. So be sure to keep an eye out on that. Uh, and I, I just want to say a quick thanks to uh, Scott Cooney at DSC Construction for a uh, believing in us and uh, supporting us with that project um but other than that uh just monster cup right now and uh i'm focusing on that 100 percent and uh doing some cool new stuff for that so but i mean after monster cup probably just gonna come back home and uh like i said keep working on that project with john and get ready for supercross perfection well, uh, it's it's uh, it's awesome to have seen you kind of progress and, and work forward towards uh, your dreams, my friend. Twenty, uh, I believe you're, you're going to be 22 next year. When is when do you turn 22? Uh, I actually just turned 22 uh, oh, this right summer on. in July. Yeah. Well, uh, happy, very belated birthday uh, to that. But uh, uh, like, uh, wh- wh- where do you kind of see? What's your, your like the the grand view of where you might take this, uh, or, or uh, are you kind of just taking it uh, weekend by weekend, or or season by season, and see where things things take you? Yeah, just kind of taking it season by season. Uh, you know, I can't I can't thank Ted enough for giving me the opportunity to uh, help him this year, and uh, I'm not sure what my plans are for 18 yet, but. Uh, I got, like I said, I got some things in the works, so uh, I, I'm just kind of taking it uh, month by month and see what happens. Fair enough, fair enough, man. Well, uh, uh, at some point we're going to have to have uh, yourself as well as uh, your, your one of your old good friends, uh, Cheyenne Harmon, on the show. Well, maybe we'll have to, to call him up uh, after uh, Monster Cup or something like that. But that's a guy who I, I was really impressed with by the end of the year. Uh, like He went to just about every Supercross after, I believe he started the year in, in Arena Cross, came over to Supercross, made some main events, uh, made a ton of night shows, was always in the Fast 40 outdoors. Uh, he was always 
always uh, like just outside of the top 20, if not in the, the top 20 in some of the motos, and uh, and teaming up with the uh, the the PRBC microbuilt team with uh, with Ronnie Stewart and uh, was able to go to all the all the outdoors as well. That was a, a huge marked improvement as far as his program and what he was able to put together because uh, that's been something that uh, Cheyenne's been struggling with for the last couple of years. Yeah, it was a uh, it was at first he was struggling in Supercross, you know, because he had come off of the Arena Cross series to try and do Supercross and he was going in his van and. Uh, I know some things weren't really working out for him, and then his van got broken into at St. Louis, uh, and I think that was kind of the point where uh, Brooke Stewart from Microboat was like, well, we'll haul your bike for you. Uh, and then I guess, I'm, I'm not sure how that turned out, but I, somehow it turned out into him riding for them. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's good for him, and it's good for that team to help out somebody like that. And uh, he's, uh, he's put in some decent rides this summer, and uh, I think things are just going to get better for him. No doubt. Good good to see uh, good things happen to good people. So uh that being said, uh like you're 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 uh you've put the Mercedes uh, dealership behind you. You're back in Texas, get to get that brand new head on the uh the, the 250F. Uh how long do you think before we'll see an edit with you uh at the controls of a motorcycle rather than behind the lens? Uh, pro- probably never. It's not too impressive. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm, I, you could put out some slow mo videos. I talked to the I talked about this with with Dakota Tedder. You start off with still images, then you go <laughs> slow mo video, and then once you're really fast, then you can go to regular speed video. Yeah, well, just like I'll take the video and I'll just speed it up like times four. Okay, perfect. All right, perfect. <laughs> Well, right on, man. Well, it's always a pleasure to have you on the show. Throw down that social media, those social media outlets for people if they want to find you on Twitter or Instagram, and uh, we'll let you be on your way. Yeah, uh, so Instagram, it's going to be uh, S-E-V-E-N, and then number 11, and then films, and then uh, Facebook's the same, and then Twitter is Shane D 711 and uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. Just uh, hit me with a follow, and uh, also check the YouTube. Uh, like I said, that John Short project is going to be coming out real soon. So uh, I look forward to everybody seeing that. Your birthday is July 11th, isn't it? Yep. Yeah, <laughs> 7-Eleven. There it is. All right, on Shane. Yep. Uh, well, it's always a pleasure to have you on the show. You will. You are a repeat offender, and you will be coming on uh, sometime after the Monster Energy Cup if we don't even do a live show uh, in Vegas. Always a pleasure. Do not hang up just now, my friend. But uh, for now, we're going to hang it up right there. Yeah, sounds good. Thanks for having me.